Good morning. Well, Paul started something, and I'm going to finish it. If you uh, are a woman, that means all you guys can think about something else right now. If you are a woman and are headed to the ladies' retreat next Saturday in the spirit of what my brother has started, would you stand? All right, now stay standing. That was part of Paul's deal. All of you that aren't going, or husbands, or guys that are still seated, pick out somebody here that you can pray for. You got it? Now God will hold you responsible for that. Ladies, you have prayer support. You may be seated. Do pray for the ladies' retreat this coming Saturday, that God would move in a special way, his way, what he desires and wants to accomplish with these ladies. Well, we are um, on a series called Lessons that have taken me 71 years to learn, and this morning, lessons on cheating, lying, and death. Now that's all I'm going to say about that. No. I learned conceptually, not analytically, which means I do well with the big picture, but not too well with details, especially if those details have anything to do with numbers. However, I'm somewhat of a perfectionist, so I really get frustrated at times. I have very little, maybe, let's call a spade a spade, I have no aptitude for math. I remember my dad hiring a math tutor to try to help me survive Algebra one. Most particularly, I remember nights in our basement, dad made a floor-to-ceiling chalkboard in the middle of our basement, and dad and our friend Fred spent hours down in that hole trying to help this analytically challenged puppy to help to understand algebra. They were getting nowhere because I was getting zip out of the whole process. Um, when the final exam was being taken, I concluded I was not going to be able to pass this exam. This was a lost cause. Not even God himself was going to be able to make this possible. So I resorted to the next best thing, I cheated. I literally kept looking at the guy's paper across the row from me and wrote down every number that he wrote down. With five minutes to go in the class, I discovered that our teacher, Mr. King, had given out different tests. <laughs> the kid next to me, <laughs> I laugh now. <laughs> The kid next to me had an entirely different test than I did, and all my answers were wrong, so I started erasing the paper. My hands started sweating. My paper started tearing. And Mr. King, who, by the way, was my neighbor, <laughs> sent me down to the school office. I was told to call my mother. The worst part of the whole affair. I received an F for the class. My reputation was tarnished because 
I was the president of the high school Bible club, which I think is an interesting concept in today's public school system. I learned a valuable lesson about forgiveness and restoration through this regrettable experience. That very weekend, Mr. King, my professor, my algebra teacher and neighbor, asked me to babysit his children. He never brought up my cheating again. He sensed that my heart was broken. He sensed it was more than a simple sorrow for getting caught. He sensed that my spirit was wounded and I had learned a lesson. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us uh, and to cleanse us from every wrong, which to me means he's never going to keep bringing it up again. And that's my lesson, um, but I wonder what you have done and what you have been forgiven of and that you continually to bring it up to yourself. But God, when he forgives us, he doesn't bring it up again. But I still had many hard lessons to learn. Like my namesake, David, I would have to continue to learn, often in a tough way, that there are ramifications for bad choices. And I mentioned at the conclusion of my sermon last week that I think we do our children today a disservice if we don't allow them to suffer the ramifications for poor choices. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's forgiveness. But grace and forgiveness do not always negate consequences. Let me illustrate. My parents had a high view of church so high that when, we, when the church doors were open, we were always there. Can any of you raise your hand and say that's the kind of environment? Yeah, I see some hands. All the old people here. <laughs> we were not allowed to miss church unless we were really sick or out of town. That meant morning service, evening service, Thursday evening prayer and Bible study during the week. And my parents should have known that I was being less than truthful when I told them that I couldn't go to a particular Sunday evening service because I had a lot of schoolwork to do. This boy never used schoolwork for any reason. Uh, I would do anything but schoolwork, even go to church. But in a weak moment, they agreed to let me stay home they decided to let my sister stay home with me, and we had strict instructions to stay in the house and not go outside. And I watched my parents' car drive back out of the driveway, drive down the road and out of sight, and I grabbed my sister and my baseball bat and ball and headed out to play ball. My intention all along. It wasn't long before I was going to be nixed up at bat, I was warming up, pretending to be a pro, swinging my bat around like my beloved Detroit Tigers, and one of those warm-up swings hit my sister in the head. I mean, I really nailed her. This was no talk your sister out of feeling de uh, crying deal, you're not really hurt, get a grip on life. 
Judy was really hurt, and I was in serious trouble. I had to drag her home and call my parents at church. You ever been in this kind of situation? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I know some of you have, you know. And I'm sure that some of you can relate to my predicament. Somebody else that can relate to my predicament is David of the Old Testament. And Psalm 51, David's reflection after the prophet Nathan confronted him about his affair with Bathsheba. And I want to read it from the message paraphrase, Psalm 51. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I violated, and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whether you decide, what you decide, whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, and the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then, conceive a new true life, soak me in your laundry, and I will come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Tune me into foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your way so that the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence. God, my salvation God, and I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, and I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. Make Zion the place you delight in. Repair Jerusalem's broken down walls. Then you'll get real worship from us. Acts of worship, small and large, including all the bulls that can, they can heave onto the altar. Powerful uh, when you hear it from the, the message. So early on, I learned lessons on cheating, lessons on lying, lessons on the ramifications of making bad choices, but on the same, at the same time, lessons about forgiveness and restoration. Reminders that God looks at the heart. Bill McCartney of Promise Keepers told us, he said, it's, doubt, it's doubtless that God ever uses a man effectively until he first breaks him. Let me repeat, and you see it on the screen. It is doubtless that God ever uses a man effectively until he first breaks him. He adapted that quote from A.W. Tozer, who said it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Can you relate? That you think of a situation in your own life in which it took brokenness before God 
could really use you? It's consistent with what Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, said years ago. He said, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. And most certainly my sin and disobedience, cheating and lying, broke the heart of God. But not all my early life experiences were negative. For the most part, they were very positive, and I'm thankful for that. I mentioned last week that my grandmother, my dad's mother, died due to complications from, our, from a birth of twins. Dad went to live with his Aunt Maggie. I knew her as Grandma Maggie. And when she was in her 90s, she came to live in our house, a precedent for fa our family. My dad and mom lived with my sister before they died, and Sherry's folks had lived with us for 14 years before we moved to Haiti. And because of this, I learned the value and the importance of family. I learned that life is more than what I can get out of it for myself. Life doesn't revolve around me. Life is giving and caring and looking out for others around me. And if you were an adult ABF this morning, John led, and that was the essence of what was talked about there, about lessons on love. Having your folks live with you will not work for everyone. It involves sacrifices. It involves inconvenience. It's not always easy, but I'm willing to bet that it will work for just about everyone who is willing to make it work. It's like a marriage. You must work at it. It just doesn't happen. You must develop a want-to attitude. I learned my first lesson about death when Grandma Maggie died in our home. My dad kept vigil at her bedside, and when she breathed her last breath, Dad came out and asked if he would like to, if I would like to come in and kiss Grandma goodbye. Grandma Maggie always had a, had time for me to come into her room, shut the door, hold me so on her lap, and rock me in her rocking chair. And I, as a young man, I was going to miss those times. My mother wasn't because she wanted me to get the full grip of the ramifications of this beating that she just gave me. And grandma would take me into her room and shut the door and say, it's okay. I used to bug my mother. And let me say there is nothing I enjoy more than having my grandchildren say, grandpa, I love you. And now I have 10 of them to make me feel real good. However, all of them are too big to jump on my lap and tell me now. When Grandma died, I knew she was in heaven. She was with Jesus. No more bumping into cupboards and getting big black and blue marks on her arms. She now had a new body and perfect eyesight. As I kissed her still warm body, I was formulating in my young mind and heart a theology of death and dying. I was not like those without hope. I knew I would see Grandma again, and I will, because Grandma had a personal relationship with Jesus, and so do I. And I applied these lessons and that hope years later when my dad and mom went to live with Jesus, and most recently, Sherry's dad, and yesterday, Art Basmagian, we celebrated his home going. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like the people who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Early on, I also learned a valuable lesson about prayer and healing. Our pastor's uh, son's wife had cancer, and I was just a young man. They didn't give her long to live. So one Sunday morning, and I remember this as clearly as it happened, and again, as I said, that was a long time ago. Uh, they didn't give her long to live. So one Sunday morning, the elders of our church had Nancy come to the front, and they laid hands on her, and they prayed for her healing. This was fascinating an experience for me. Nancy had a request of God. She said, give me 10 more years to create a desire in my young children's life for God. 10 years later, to the month, Nancy died. And during those 10 years, all of her children fell in love with Jesus. Does this mean God always heals? You might be surprised at my answer. My answer is yes. God always heals the believer. God always heals those who have committed their lives to him. It's just that sometimes that healing must wait until heaven. But God always heals his children, sometimes even here on earth. James 5, 14 to 15, are, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. I had another grandmother. Her name was Mary. Grandma Mary, my mom's mother, also lived in Bay City, Michigan, where we did. I never knew any of my grandfathers. They both died before I was born. But I did have the privilege of knowing Grandma Mary, and you might find this hard to believe, but she liked me. She thought I was pretty, a pretty wonderful kid, and I used to be. Um, there was a problem, however. Life for me and my family revolved, as I said before, around church, Sunday school, vacation, Bible school, and camp. But Grandma didn't want to hear anything about church. She didn't want to hear anything about the Bible stories I was learning. She just plain didn't want to hear about Jesus. She was a non-attending member of the Methodist church in town. My step-grandfather was the church janitor in that same church, and I remember the grandpa just used to like to smoke cigars in the church boiler room. So even though I had a wonderful relationship with Grandma Mary, I was not able to share the most important aspects of my life with her. That is, until she was 80 years old. Grandma Mary developed throat cancer. 
She was dying and in the hospital. Our pastor often visited her, and one day Grandma Mary gave her heart to Jesus. Wow. Total, total transformation. This woman who had no time for God and no time for spiritual things suddenly had a story to tell and tell the story she did up and down the corridors of the hospital. She was an evangelist. It was time for me to leave for Chicago to attend Trinity College and Seminary. Grandma Mary had slipped into a coma. The doctor said that she would die at any time. Early in the morning on the way out of town, we stopped at the hospital so I could say goodbye to Grandma. The second time I would say goodbye to a grandmother. When I walked into the room, Grandma Mary came out of her coma. She looked at me and told me that she was praying that the Holy Spirit would be with me and prepare me for the ministry. She held my hand and prayed for me. I had never heard my grandma talk to me like this before. And when I left the room, she went back into the coma and one week later she died. It was like the burning bush episode when God had a message for Moses. Exodus 3, 4, when the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the bush. And I believe that God brought Grandma Mary out of that coma. God was preparing me for the ministry and he used a miracle to get my attention. He used this time with Grandma Mary to affirm the call he had made on my life several years ago. In summary, God is in the business of using both our successes and our failures for his glory and his, and his purposes. Through cheating and lying, God taught me that there are ramifications for bad choices, but also forgiveness and grace when we confess and repent of our sins, and that it's doubtless that God ever uses a man effectively until he breaks him. Through the death of my grandmothers, God taught me about what happens when we die, that we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. Through prayer, I learned that God always heals his children, sometimes even on earth, sometimes for a specific period of time, sometimes at the end of all of life, all for his glory and all for his purposes. James 5.16 again, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God gave Nancy Olson 10 more years to create a desire in her children's heart for Jesus. God didn't give up on my grandma Mary. God brought her to himself at 80 years of age in both Nancy and grandma Mary for his glory, for his purposes. They were early lessons, but God isn't finished taking me to school because of the dumb choices I continue to make. And though through the years, God has been continuing to teach me valuable lessons about prayer, healing, and death. God always heals his children, sometimes even on earth. Psalms 116:15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. The New Living Translation says, the Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. And that was exemplified yesterday with the funeral that we had for Art. 
And the message paraphrases that when they arrive at the gates of death, God welcomes those who love him. I want to wrap this up with the following plea from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 6, 2. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for my sin so that I could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this wonderful gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Psalm 51 from the message. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from the gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job of teaching rebels your ways so that law, the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God, and I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, and I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart shattered lives, ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Finally, Charles Stanley said, in the spirit of Bill McCartney and A.W. Tozer, brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness. Next week, I was surprised how much my dad had learned in four years. I got really smart when I went to college as a freshman. Uh, um, and the statement that I'm going to make next week is that we don't, we don't need to make the mistake of equating wisdom with knowledge. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Listen, my child, to what your father teaches you. Don't neglect your mother's teaching. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and clothe you with honor. That's next week. Father, you have so much to teach us. You have been so gracious and forgiving. I think of Billy Graham's funeral and how his wayward daughter made bad choices, married the wrong person, knew it right away in 24 hours. And, and she didn't have any where to go. She didn't think that her mother and father would welcome her, her brothers and sisters. And, but she decided to come home. And when she drove home to the Carolinas, her father, Billy Graham, was standing out at the end of the driveway, embraced her, and welcomed her home 
and never brought an accusation against her. And Father, I think that story is a living example of the prodigal son story. And it could in some way, to some degree, be all of our stories. We've made stupid choices and there are severe ramifications for those choices. But when we confess our sins, repent of those sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and never bring it up again. Lord, thank you for the love that you show and exhibit because you have a plan for our life and you're not ready to throw us out into the trash or give up on us, but to forgive us and heal us and restore us. In Jesus' name, amen.